Hello everyone, I'm Richard Roberts and welcome to the Expect a Miracle podcast. Each week, I bring you outstanding guests from all over the United States, Canada, and even nations outside the United States to be a part of this podcast. And today, a longtime friend. In 1975, there was a member's magazine that came out of the Calvary Assembly of God Church in the greater Orlando area, published by a young man by the name of Stephen Strang who later bought the magazine to become what is known today as Charisma Media, which includes Charisma Magazine, which which merged back in the 80s with uh, Christian Life Magazine to be a bridge uh, between the evangelicals and the charismatic world. My longtime friend, Stephen Strang. Steve, God bless you, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. And I'm not sure I could say our history as well as you did. (laughs) Well, uh, I've got to say this before we start. Of course, I've known you and Joy for many, many, many years. And I thank God for for all the publications and for, for Strang Communications, which became known as Charisma Media. But I know when you started, you probably did not necessarily have a vision of, of what you're doing today because it was just a member's magazine in a local church. How did that vision come across? I know you purchased that for about $25,000 and it started from there, but I know it wasn't easy. No, it wasn't. And, you know, one of the very first television programs I was ever on was your show in Tulsa. I don't remember how I was invited. And when I had to tell people my testimony, you know, because it wasn't like David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz and all that kind of stuff. Thank God I didn't, you know, have that kind of background. And what I started was so small that I didn't think anybody would be interested in it. But I began to realize that, you know, Pat Robertson said, despise not the days of small beginnings. He says, when you're really small, uh, you make all your mistakes in secret or behind the scenes when you get big, you know, all of your mistakes, uh, depending on who you are, is like on the front page of the newspaper. And you would know all about that. But, uh, you know, I was a 24 year old secular newspaper man wanting to do something for Jesus. I had an idea to do a magazine, this this mega church or it was a mega church, for the, at, you know, in that day, backed it. I actually did it on the side. Uh, Jamie Buckingham and a few other people came alongside and gave us credibility. uh, We did a story on Catherine Kuhlman uh, three months before she died. I think it was maybe the last, you know, journalistic article about her. Uh, I'd actually written it for the Orlando Sentinel, believe it or not. I I got the editor to let me go over and cover her crusade in St. Petersburg. I rode over on the bus, you know, like everybody else. A couple people on my bus were healed. Uh, the secular newspaper, even though they weren't very religious, of course, you, you know, I wrote it in a journalistic fashion, but it was friendly. And then I took that article sometime later when Charisma started and rewrote it uh, for Charisma. But we were very, very small. By the way, you talk about knowing me for a long time. You have no idea the first time I knew you, because in 1970, as the University of Florida freshman on my spring break, I came to Tulsa. My cousin, Sharon Perry, was actually a student there, and she got some friend to let me sleep on the floor in the dorm, (laughs) and and we went to the cafeteria. It was the nicest cafeteria I'd ever seen, and I saw, they said, there's Richard Roberts way over there, so I saw you. To me, you were like a celebrity. I mean, I I would have been uh, probably 19 years old at the time. Uh, I never really considered going to ORU because I was a little bit rebellious. 
Um, but thankfully, God got a hold of my life um, a couple of years later. But that's the first time I saw you. And then one of the, as I just said, one of the first times I was on TV was with you. And I'd been on once or twice, and I, I'd never talked to you. And I, um, and I learned to at least get acquainted in the green room. And so in the green room, I said to you, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm used to asking questions. This is a little different for me. I was, you know, <laughs> it was my way of being humble. I was also really nervous. So here we are on live TV at like maybe 10 or 11 in the morning on a, some kind of network all over the country. So we're talking about whatever. And then right at the end of the program, you looked at me and said, you're a journalist. You're used to asking people questions. If there's any question at all to ask me, what would it be? And I think, I mean, you caught me off guard. I remember that day. I and sure so did. you remember what you said. In fact, I think we've talked about it since. But I, I said, you know, you don't know. My father was living at the time. I said, you don't know my father at all. But here, you know, everybody knows Oral Roberts. What, what is it like to kind of be in his shadow or following his footsteps or something? And you said, you want to tell him the rest no, of the I, story? Honestly, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> Well, you said that you were walking down the hallway at the City of Faith or some such place, and there was a couple behind you. You could hear them talking. Oh, and yes. from the back, they couldn't tell if it was Oral or Richard. Yeah. And so they were discussing. The husband thought it was Oral. The wife thought it was you. And so you turned around and you said, the Bible says, if you've seen the son, you've seen the father yes. or something like that. <laughs> and then, and then it was, but up bump and the show was over. Yeah, I remember but, that now. <laughs> it was a great line and uh, you know, oh, the joys of uh, live television. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to charisma, I just wanted to serve the Lord. And uh, so we started a small publishing house and, and the magazine grew. There was kind of a need for it. Actually a couple of magazines went under during that era and uh, I've told people sometimes the best way to be a success is to outlive all your competition. But, you know, the thing was, I've always seen what we do as a Christian ministry. We've just done it in the for-profit setting. You know, we would sell a subscription or we would sell advertising. Later on, we sold books. And we just figured that we were exchanging what people wanted for a fair price. You know, I'm not trying to figure out a way to wring one more dollar out of my, my customers. and. Um, but I'll also tell you that because of Jamie Buckingham, he opened some doors for me. And I went to some event. It was at the top of the City of Faith. There must have been about 150 or 200 uh, speakers there. I mean, uh, well, they weren't speakers, uh, people. And your father spoke. And there was a time of worship. And we were all sitting around round tables. And we were all standing by our, our seats in worship and your father went around and he laid hands on people and would quietly pray for them. And I'll never forget, in fact, when he died and I wrote my tribute to him, I said this, he said to me, never doubt the gift that's in you. And you have to understand I was in my twenties, what I was, you know, everybody else was bigger, more important, all that kind of stuff. You know, there were a lot of times I felt like quitting. And, you know, that was a real encouragement to me and he also talked about how uh, there was something in his life where he felt his ministry had begun. Um, you know, he had done a bunch of stuff before, and there was some dividing point. And I stayed at some little motel south of ORU. You didn't have the nice one across the street back then. And I remember laying on the bed and praying, 
or maybe kneeling by the bed and saying, Lord, I want, that's me. I want this to be a, a dividing point, even though I've been doing it for, you know, probably three years at the time or four years. That made such a difference. And then, then as I got to know, be around ORU and Charismatic Bible Ministries, you may remember, and get to spend some time with their father. In fact, I went to see him three times in Southern California when he was in his retirement years. And I would be with him for several hours. Uh, one time I took R.T. Kendall with me, I remember. Yes. Th those were such precious times because when I grew up in our home, I fought, my father was a Pentecostal preacher. As a little kid, when I was like four and five years old, we would hear about two famous people. <laughs> we knew about Oral Roberts and Billy Graham in that order. <laughs> and I was an adult before I realized that Billy Graham, your father was very, very famous, but in the culture, you know, he, he other people would have said Billy Graham and Oral Roberts. In our home, it was always Oral Roberts and Billy Graham. I never even dreamed that I would meet your father ever, let alone, you know, he took a personal interest in me. I've told people that your father was the greatest man I ever knew personally. And I've interviewed three U.S. presidents, but, you know, that's an honor, of course, to interview a president, but I didn't know him personally. And also they weren't spiritual leaders, but I think your father was one of the, the greatest um, le uh, Christian leaders of the, of the most recent generation. I really believe that. And of course, you know all that, but I just wanted to express my opinion. Well, I appreciate that, Stephen. My, my dad loved you very much and was very supportive, I, I remember, of Charisma Magazine. And that's the reason why he wanted you to be a part of the Charismatic Bible Ministries Fellowship, which those of you who say, well, what's that? Well, we had a, a minister's fellowship for ministers from all over the world. And they came each year for a conference with sometimes three, four, five thousand 5,000 people. And Stephen was a part of that. And that was also a part of Charisma's growth. But another great part was in the mid-80s when you merged with a magazine called Christian Life as a way of bridging the gap uh, between the evangelical world and the charismatic world. Can you share that? Because that's been a great, great thing. Well, Robert Walker, who's now in heaven, he died at 96 about uh, 15 years ago. Uh, he started a magazine in 1939 that morphed into something which morphed into something that in 1948 became Christian Life magazine, which back in the day was the Christian magazine. This was before Christianity Today and some of the other magazines that came along. And of course, Christian television had not come along. He wrote the very first story about a young guy in Virginia named Pat Robertson. And uh, he, Pat Robertson had three employees at the time. In fact, he was on Pat Robertson's board up until almost the time he died. He wrote the first article um, about Billy Graham, uh, I should say the first cover story of a Christian magazine. Of course, Hearst wrote about Billy Graham uh, back in the 40s. But I have a copy of that issue framed in my office. It was 1952. Billy Graham was 34 years old. And uh, he was writing about how the election of 52, where Eisenhower ran against Stevenson, was the most important election of our lifetime. And you know, he was very concerned about the Cold War and the advance of communism and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of interesting to read all these years later when the Billy Graham Library found out I had it. Um, they were very interested in a copy. So, of course, you know, there aren't many copies around, but we sent it to them. Also, in 1954, 
Mr. Walker, who lived in Wheaton, Illinois, which is, you know, at least back in that era, was kind of the hub of yes, evangelicalism, it, yes, it was. usually anti-Pentecostal evangelicalism. He wrote an article in 1954, and the headline was, Are We Missing Something? And he was writing about these people that prayed for people, and they believed in miracles, and they believed in the Spirit, Holy Spirit. And he was telling his evangelical friends, maybe... Uh, we need to pay more attention to what they're doing. I consider that the first article ever about what we later called the charismatic movement. Yeah, yeah. And he was, he was identified. I really think the charismatic movement kind of started with Dima Shakarian and your dad starting full gospel. And of course, uh, Catherine Kuhlman was around, but she didn't really come to prominence until about that era. And then other things happened in 1960, Dennis Bennett, announced that he'd received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, got fired the same day. Newsweek magazine actually covered that story. A lot of people see that the charismatic movement started about then. And then in 67, the Roman Catholics um, yes. received the baptism Tremendous of the Holy outbreak. Spirit. And then, of course, the Jesus movement and all that. But I consider them just like if you're on a seashore, you know, the, the tide's coming in. It's one wave and then another wave of kind of the same move of God. And that, that move of God is still going on, but boy, we need another outpouring. Was the merging of the two magazines, um, was that your idea? Was it a Mr. Walker's idea or was it a mutual thing? Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, we, he also uh, had a publishing house. It was called Christian Life Inc. And uh, I knew him. I, I visited his office several times. Uh, there were a few leaders meetings where he was probably the oldest one in the room. I was probably the youngest. But, you know, we, he, you know, I mean, he kept a, this upstart a little bit at arm's length. But Doug Weed, if you remember Doug, oh, who sure. recently went to heaven. Yes, I, I, he, I heard that. He, he used to goad me and he said, you ought to buy Christian Life magazine. Well, I didn't have any money. And um, but uh, uh, Mr. Walker had published some of his early books like um, Father MacArthur Smokes a Pipe and Speaks in Tongues. It was about the charismatic Catholic and he also published uh, The Compassionate Touch about Mark Buntain and all this kind of stuff. And I was at NRB in 19... That's the National Religious Broadcaster Convention for those of you who are listening. <laughs> right. And there was a big breakfast having to do with uh, Israel and all that kind of stuff. And Mr. Walker and I sat at the same table. And I told him, I said, uh, after it was over, I said, if Christian life is ever for sale, I'd be interested and I don't know why I said it, because, I mean, I would have had to raise money from somewhere. And he he called me several days later and he said. Um, he said, did you mean that? And I, I said, yes, he he was 74 years old and he'd been looking for a successor. He had several people he had tried out. It wasn't working out. They were actually in the process of going bankrupt. I later mm. found out. But um I knew before that phone call was over that there was a good chance it would happen. He considered that he gave it to me. He, it came with quite a bit of debt. It was his way to try to handle the debt and also to continue his ministry. Our, uh, and I, I always honored him up until the end of his life. The nonprofit he started, Christian Life Missions, uh, is still going today. I'm the president of, it started in 1956. It's only had two presidents, him and me. That's a long time. And 
just this morning, I okayed the letter to go out to our donors, you know, thanking them for their donations uh, in 2021. So, I mean, we continued that, but Christian Life and Charisma were so similar, it was hard for us to kind of know, you know, Christian Life was always charismatic friendly. The evangelical side was charismatic. Charismatics all thought he was an evangelical. He, but he was, you know, and for his generation, he was doing the same thing I, I was doing, and he, he recognized the, the yeah. touch Crossing. of God in my life. Over. And so I didn't literally move up to Chicago and take over Christian Life. We brought it down to Florida, of course. But our book publishing, he did under the name Creation House, and we did we use that name for a long time. Yes, now we use. Uh, uh, charisma strong house. communications and then strength and then the charisma, charisma right media. and and you know as we did things beyond charisma we didn't know what to call it so we started calling it strength communications but i never i never wanted to call it after myself i always felt awkward about it you know i and so at some point it was easy easier for me to call it and actually charisma is a much bigger brand and uh, so we did we changed it over in 2011 I didn't like it. You know, people would say stuff like, uh, would you drop by Strang and leave something at the front desk? Or how how long have you worked for Strang? And it just it just bothered me. Something good about that, uh, Stephen, that, that you did use your name for a number of years. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm old enough to remember uh, the foundings of the university. And the last thing my father wanted was to put his name on the school. He wanted another name on the school. But the, the leaders at the time, the regents, including Dima Shakarian, who you mentioned a few moments ago, and the others who were on it said, no, Oral, it has to have your name on it. And he said, why? Why does it have to have my name on it? It, it looks like I'm trying to you know, be, be what, I'm, I'm not, what I'm not trying to be. And he, I'm sure he felt the same way that you felt. And they said, Oral, if your name is not on it, people are not going to know what the school stands for. And he he acquiesced and he agreed to put his name on the university. But, but it was don't not com, his don't idea compare me in the same sentence with your father. I'm well, nowhere near principle. close. It's the same principle though. And but then you you grew you you grew you moved on from strength communication onto charisma, which is which was a good change. But but see, you had a good base there with your name, so people knew who you were. They knew what you stood for. Well, thank you, and uh, you know, but. Doug Weed used to talk about feeling like Doug Weed was a, a mentor of mine when I was in my 20s, even before I knew your father. And he used to talk about how he always felt like an underdog. But he found a scripture in uh, Ecclesiastes. They actually talked about this at his, at his funeral. And I remember back in the day, he used to preach about it. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that said, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Yeah. And he used to say that he felt you know, he would look at great men like Winston Churchill, and he had a whole spiel, and he just felt insignificant. And he found that scripture, and he said, I may not be a lion, but I'm a live dog. And, uh, you know, that can encourage any of us. And there's, there's a truth in that. God can use any of us. But when I started, I had no idea that uh, things would develop. You know, I've been doing this for 46 years. Uh, you know, it became my life's work. And the thing is, it could have folded so many times. And of course, over the years, we've seen a lot of ministries come and go. You and I were talking about one of them just a few minutes before we started this. And um, it's only God's grace and mercy. And uh, but when I started in 75, of course, we didn't really get on the national scene until the early 80s. I mean, we were just so small and 
kind of insignificant. But, you know, we used manual typewriters. Uh, we barely, we heard that cell phones were coming, but we didn't know what that looked like. Um, we had no, or at least I had no idea about the internet. And when they changed came, everything. And when they came, you couldn't carry them. <laughs> That's right. It was the size of a brick. They um, called it the brick. <laughs> well, what, what people may not know is that uh, Stephen is the one that got me to do a podcast in the first place. I had never done, well, I'd been, I guess I've been a guest on several podcasts, but back about almost a year and a half ago, Stephen called me and asked me if I would be a guest on his podcast. And apparently it, it had a good response because not long after he called and said, would you consider doing a podcast on the Charisma Network? And I said, well, of course, as long as I can still uh, put it on our network, which of course he said, yes. And so that's how this podcast got started. And I'm, I'm very grateful because you're the one that spurred, spurred me to start this a little more than a year ago. Well, thank you. And I wish I'd looked up the numbers. You know, people, uh, every week somebody listens to that podcast. It's the most amazing thing. Unlike radio, you know, especially live radio, which is here and gone, podcasts, you know, really stay forever as long it has as you it on the Internet. It has That's a life. right. And and uh, I plan to put this on my podcast. Of course, I'll pre- I'll tell the listener that they're listening to your podcast, <laughs> but it's just a way to get the word out. And and, you know, people, they like listening to conversations like this as they, and it's it's better than a lot of the other stuff that's on the radio, of course. And uh, they listen to it mostly driving back and forth to to work. And we've had enormous success with our podcast. And it's easy to do and very inexpensive. And you can reach a lot of people. And uh, I hope people will check out the Charisma Podcast Network. Of course, your podcast and mine are on uh, iTunes and Spotify and Podcast Attic and all those. But really, it is so hard to get noticed, you know, with everyone has a podcast, it, in, on the Charisma Podcast Network, which we only have about 300 podcasts, it's much easier uh, to get noticed. And like I said, if I'd done my homework, I would have looked up to see how you're doing. But I, we're honored to have you on. Well, like I'm I never, uh, you know, to me, remember, I first met you and I was, or I didn't meet you. I saw you across the room when I was 19. You were like a big deal. I never, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm glad. I never thought that I would know you or that you would call me your longtime friend. So that's uh, a big honor. Well, for I'm me. very glad to be very glad to be a part of the Charisma Podcast Network. And, and the folks coming up soon, my wife, Lindsay, is going to begin a podcast and it's going to be on Charisma Podcast Network, as well as on our network as well. That'll be starting in a few weeks. Uh, I don't think I've announced that anywhere. It's, this may be the first time that I've announced it, but it is coming. In the so next we have weeks. a little scoop. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's going to be focusing in on the prophetic. Uh, God has really been moving in her life in the prophetic. And when she, when she posts something on Facebook regarding the prophetic and what God has spoken to her, hundreds of thousands of people uh, watch it. And so uh, I, I, she's going to start doing it soon. Stephen, what's next? What's in the future for Charisma Media? Well, I wish I knew, um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I still see myself as a journalist, uh, covering what the Holy spirit is doing. Um, I'm in my early seventies now. I know that's hard to believe, but I am, but I don't intend to retire. Uh, as long as I have any kind of health at all, I'm going to continue to do it. Of course, I'm trying to mentor the next generation. Uh, God allows me to speak, you know, privately speak into the lives of some leaders who are coming up. Things are getting, listen, when I went to the University of Florida in the 70s, it was bad. It was liberal. It was the Vietnam era. Uh, there was a lot of the stuff that we now see in the culture, but it was 
fairly isolated to, you know, university campuses and stuff like that. Now it's just everywhere. And, you know, the new book I wrote, God and Cancel Culture, is they're trying to cancel anything that does not agree with a, a, you know, what they're now calling a woke agenda, which has to do with moral things like um, the LBGTQ um, agenda and now transgenderism. Who would have thought, who would have thought years ago that this, now there is some bill that was passed by the House and it's at the Senate that uh, would be intrusive about transgenderism. It probably will not get through. History shows that these things don't work or don't get through the first, second, or third time, but then they get through. We need a radical shift in our country. And it's harder to be a Christian. The other side, Christianity is the only thing stopping them having total control and anything goes. If it feels good, do it. They used to say that back in the 70s, but you know, it's like. You know, if if any if you want to love anyone, if you want to do anything, you know, the Bible calls it sin. But our culture, you know what they call sin? Uh, eating too much ice cream while you're watching TV is a sin. I mean, they kind of joke about it. It's like they trivialize sin. And uh, we need strong people. And thankfully, strong. God is raising up people. I mean, people like Sean Floyd and Sean Boltz and. And some old guys like Mario Murillo, who are our generation and people like that, before you could kind of play tootsies with the world, if that's an expression, and also serve Jesus, you know, or at least people thought they could. Today, it's one thing no, or the other. There's a line in the and, sand. But, you know, God is still God. The Bible says all things work together for good. We have to believe that. Uh, it, it sure looks like we're heading toward one world government and the Antichrist and everything else. I wish I could sure slow it down. All I can do is try to get as many people to go to heaven as possible and people not to cave in and backslide. You know, it's kind of sad when you see people compromising left and right. But thank God not everyone is doing it. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about a remnant. And, uh, you know, a different way to think about it is we've read the back of the book or the end of the book. And we win, or Jesus wins, I should say. And, you know, if you think about it, a thousand years of peace, the quicker we get through the Antichrist and all that, the quicker we'll get to the thousand year reign. So in an odd kind of way, the worse it gets, the closer we are to final victory. Well, not only that, but if you look back at Bible days, I'm sure they felt the exact same way because they were heavily opposed as well as persecuted for their faith, but they stood strong. They had a strong backbone, and that's what we must have. That's what I hear you saying today. We must have a strong backbone. It said if you don't stand up for something, you're going to fall for just about anything. That's right, and the Roman Empire was far worse oh, oh than even what we deal with now. I mean, they, they, they used Christians as human torches. Well, I'm not sure how that works. I think they di dipped them in wax or something and burned them. I've seen it displayed in some movies. I mean, it's just absolutely grotesque. The Roman Empire tried to cancel Christianity, but they didn't. In fact, the Roman Empire is long gone. The only, the only thing left of the Roman Empire is the word Roman in Roman Catholic Church. I mean, the church actually uh, took over. And of course, you know, all these centuries later, uh, we're still here. And we've got to stand strong. And if there's anything good about what's happening is at least Christians 
are getting a backbone. I mean, look at uh, pastors in California, like Cheon, who stood up to Governor Gavin Newsom. I mean, who would have thought they would arrest pastors for having church and put fines? Cheon, uh, the, the state of California is bad enough, but the city of Pasadena put a $1,000 fine per service per person who attended. And people came from all over to stand with Che, even though they faced a $1,000 fine for walking in the door. Thankfully, the Supreme Court, with, um, you know, because of the appointees of Donald Trump, voted that down, and the state of California had to repay their legal fees, $1.2 million to Liberty Council. Uh, you know, thank God for people like Matt Staver, who stands up to the bad guys. But why should any American have to sue the government to get our constitutional rights. We have a constitutional right, not only the freedom of religion, but freedom of assembly. And those rights do not go away just because there's a crisis. In this case, it was a health crisis. But what are they going to do next time they want to shut down the churches? They're going to use some kind of excuse. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet. I've never been a prophet. Once in a great while, God gives me a prophetic word, but I can tell you from my heart, I believe that there is a new move of God coming in our nation, that there a new movement is rising up, and there are going to be great changes taking place during this year, especially as we come to this fall. There are going to be some tremendous changes in our nation, and my, my feeling is, is one of optimism. Yes, I see all the problems. But I'm still saved and healed and delivered, and Amen. I can preach and I can pray for the sick. I'm seeing miracles wherever I go. And my father used to say it, and I say it today because I, I see it. Uh, you know, no matter, thank God for all the great doctors, all the great hospitals, all the great nurses, all the great medicines, all the great di- di- not diagnostic equipment. But I'll tell you what, people are sicker than they've ever been. If ever there's been a time for healing, it's a healing time right now. We're seeing healings of COVID from COVID literally every day through this ministry. If ever there was a time for healing, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for the charismatic movement, it's now. So I'm as optimistic as I can possibly be. And people are more open to talking about Jesus than ever because, you know, even the average person sees that things are spinning out of control. And I, I agree with you. We, we do see a revival coming. Yes. But what happens is, and this has been through history, even from the early church, there's a move of God and the fire kind of goes out. I mean, look, Look how the Methodist church, they used to call them shouting Methodists. Uh, Wasn't it uh, uh, John Wesley who said that, you know, people would, he would be on fire for Christ and people come to watch him burn or something to that effect. (laughs) That fire kind of went out in the Pentecostal movement. And, you know, the Pentecostal movement was kind of waning, frankly, by the time I came along, I remember the old people praying for revival to come. Well, revival came different than they thought. It came in these liberal churches, you know, where, you know, Episcopal and Lutheran and all these different denominations. And then the Roman Catholics. Can you believe that? I mean, Pentecostals didn't even hardly think Catholics were saved. I believe that many Catholics love Jesus just as much as you and I do. Sure. But you know what? There's a lot of Pentecostals that are kind of name only and they grew up that way. And, you know, they might go to church once in a while and they might say they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they have no fruit. And so God keeps pouring out his spirit and we need another outpouring. And you're right. We see the beginning of it coming in at Charisma Magazine and um, 
online and in print and the different books we do. In fact, let me put in a little plug for uh, Jonathan Kahn. You, of course, know uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He has a new I, book I, coming out. I've never out. met him personally, but I know, of course, who he is. Well, we need to arrange that, Richard. You okay. need to meet him. He's a wonderful man of God, and he has a major uh, a documentary coming out on May 12th. Uh, we're just starting now to talk about it. It's going to be in over 800 theaters on May 12th. It's of his last book, Harbinger 2. And then there's a new one coming that in some ways we're embar uh, it's embargoed exactly what it's about, but I believe it's going to be even more powerful. And, uh, you know, in the book that I wrote, uh, God and Cancel Culture, I do talk about what you and I are talking about now, that we see a revival beginning. And some of these pastors like Cheon, who I've known since 1985, he's a good man, but he was always kind of quiet when it came to politics. Listen, he has got a backbone of steel now. He had to stand up to Governor Newsom when he closed down the churches and everything else. And that's happened. I tell stories in the book with other people like that. Thank God. And even at this point in my life, you know, I've always tried to be real even handed and arm's length. In fact, uh, not very many people know it, but in the 80s, your father uh, floated the idea of being on the, um, what did you call it, the Board of Regents back then? Yes. And I was very honored, but I said, Brother Roberts, or maybe I called him Dr. Roberts. I said, I can be more of your friend, <laughs> arm's length, than I can be on your board. Everyone will think that I'm in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And he, he understood the wisdom of sure. that. But you know what? And now I'm at a point in life, I'm just, I'm just out there swinging for Jesus. Because it's like, if you know anything about hockey, you know that the goalie is very important. But if you're behind... What is the what does the goalie do in the last minute or two of the game? <laughs> he becomes Play. a member of the offense. <laughs> that's right. It's offense. And that's where I am right now. If somebody well, wants to say I'm not an objective journalist, I don't care. I'm a journalist <laughs> for Jesus. I'm all for Jesus, <laughs> you know, and I'm against the devil. And, uh, you know, sadly, some other Christian journalists and some other magazines are, are going liberal. Well, the good news is you own the magazine, so you can do what you need to do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I remember when, when my longtime friend, Dr. Cho, who just passed away a few months ago, uh, he, he, he said to me, we had so much criticism, I bought a newspaper. <laughs> he bought one of the major newspapers in Seoul, Korea, so it'd have a voice. <laughs> I visited it one time. You're right, it was a major newspaper. And, but, you know, all of us can just do what we can do. We need to be faithful. We want to be able to stand before uh Jesus and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And uh, and there was a little motto that was on the wall in my home growing up. I later found out that C.T. Studd, the famous missionary, wrote it. It was, it's a long poem, but there's one stanza that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And, uh, you know, it sounds kind of trite, but it's absolutely true. And, no, it is true. You know, I've lived long... When I got started, people like Dennis Bennett and Jamie Buckingham, you know, they were way up here as far as I was concerned. And, it, you know, all these years later, hardly anybody even remembers their names. And not that that's really important. And someday people are going to not remember Richard Roberts or, or Steve Strang, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, God, God has a purpose for why we were born yes. in this generation to be faithful to him, to do what we can. We can't do everything, but we could all do something. And the message is more important than the messenger. Absolutely. Let's pray, Steve. Uh, you, you, pray, you pray first, people watching, people listening uh, who have prayer needs. You pray, and then I'll pray. Well, Father God, 
we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Lord, we don't know what's ahead, but you do. You have a plan and purpose. Your plans and purposes are so much bigger than ours. Lord, you knew our lives from the beginning, of, even before we were born. Lord, you knew about two, uh, 2022. You knew who'd be in the White House. You knew about cancel culture. And Lord, we know that this is your plan and purpose. And Lord, if you can use us, I just pray that you will. And Lord, those who are listening or those who are watching, each of us, I don't care if you, they have a media ministry or a platform, or it's just their neighbors and friends or the people they run into at restaurants and the store. All of us have influence and help us to influence people in our families, our churches, our neighborhoods, influence them for Jesus. Help us to stand strong no matter what persecution comes. And all of us face some kind of persecution, even if it's people just being rude and cutting us off and, and, and canceling our tweets. It's persecution of a type, and we can't be intimidated. We can't uh, self-cancel uh, because we're afraid of being canceled. We've got to stand strong for Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you for uh, Richard Roberts and all that you've done in his life. Boy, he's been through it uh, again and again, and, and you have always been faithful, and now you, you are giving him uh, wind in his sail I mean, it's just so exciting to see what you're doing with his life and Lindsay and his ministry. I just pray you'll bless them and help him to be faithful in whatever days he has, just like I want the same thing. I'm only a year or two behind him. And Lord, none of us know how long we have, but we want to be faithful to the call of God in our life. And like his father said to me so many years ago, to not doubt the gift that you have placed in our lives in Jesus' name. And I add my prayers to Steve's prayers right now. God has put a gift in you. There is something that is unique and irreplaceable about your life. God has a specific mission. He has a specific calling, a purpose, a plan for your life. And I pray that you would fully, with open arms and an open heart, embrace that mission. And I pray over you for angels to encamp about you and to keep you safe from harm, danger, accident, injury, pilfering, theft, hijacking, terrorism. I dispatch those angels to encompass and to encamp about you in every area of your life. I speak now to every sickness and disease. And by the word of God, I send it to you for healing. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And so I send that word to you right now. And I believe, God, that even during this podcast, you will receive the touch of God yes. from the crown of your head, even unto the soles of your feet. Not in my name, my friend. I'm just a man, but in the name of Jesus, I'm just that, but I am one, I'm a living dog. I'm not that dead lion. I'm a living dog. And Amen. I pray that over you today in the authority of Jesus name. And I pray over you, Steve, and over joy, your precious wife, your family, over charisma media and all that you set your hand to for the glory of God. May you, may you shine, may you burn for the glory of God so the people can come and watch you burn for the glory Amen. of God in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Steve, thank you so much for coming on today. 
Thank you. It's an honor. And uh, God bless each one of you. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you next time right here from the Expect a Miracle podcast. Text giving is now available. It's as simple as taking out your mobile phone and opening your text app. If you're in the USA, text RRM to 833-881-6442. Then just follow the prompts. Now, if you're in Canada, text RRM Canada to 77977. That's RRM to 833-881-6442 in the USA and RRM Canada to 77977 if you're in Canada. And we'll put the numbers in the show notes for easy reference. Your generosity makes a difference.